Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, now we pray that you would help us to, as we open your word, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, teach us new things. And Lord, we pray that through your word you would help us to draw close to you. And so, Father, we pray now that you would just open our hearts to your word, open your word to our hearts. Lord, as we read your word, that you would bless us, that we will be a blessing to the people around us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Several elderly nuns were on the second floor of a convent and um, one night when a fire broke out and when the nuns realised the fire was blocking the exit they, uh, they took off their habits, tied them together and let themselves out through the windows on this, on this rope. After they were safely on the ground a news reporter said to them weren't you afraid that the habits would, would get ripped or torn? And one nun replied, not at all. Don't you know, old habits are hard to break. I thought you'd like that one. Abraham had a habit of telling half-truths. He had a weakness for, in a way, deception, not being straight. And often we say, oh, we'll never do that again. But how often do we do it? We face something similar in Genesis chapter 20 uh, to what happened in Genesis chapter 12. It was the policy of Abraham. But what can we learn from this where faith doesn't turn up? And we see the first thing, the fear of man foolishness wouldn't it be great if we could suddenly become instantly mature and completely perfect imagine how different this world and our churches would be if the second that we became a Christian we were morally flawless and spiritually wise we'd have no more struggles with impatience, greed, lust, selfishness We'd no longer complain, gossip, or tell lies. Wouldn't it become, uh, be great to become this model of flawless integrity? But let's come back to reality. Even though we've trusted in the Lord Jesus with all our hearts, we believe in him, in him alone, we're saved by grace through faith alone, we still carry within us the nature that loves self and loves sin. Alan Redpath once said, the conversion of the soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. And when we become Christians, we receive a new nature. We are a new creation. But that doesn't mean that we've escaped the influence of our old nature. With Jesus Christ in our hearts and the Holy Spirit resident in our lives, we don't have to submit to the old master, but often we do. And as the Spirit of God continues to change us over a lifetime, we become more like Christ. But we're still 100% human. 
And as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Paul too wrestled with this whole thing. And as we move on in our Christian lives, Satan and sin sin will always stalk us. The birth of a baby is a momentary event taking place in a matter of hours. But at that moment, life has just begun. Growth and maturity occur steadily and gradually as a child develops from infancy to adulthood. And we will struggle with all temptations and fall back into familiar simple patterns. If Moses lived today, he would have to go through an anger management class. Samson worshipped God, but he never conquered his weakness. Solomon had many wives, which led both the king and the kingdom into idolatry. And we come back to the Lord, here I am Lord, bringing before you what I've done, yet again. And when it comes to Abraham and his journey of faith, we shouldn't be surprised to find that we're just like him. And he is like us. We read in the first uh, two verses of Genesis chapter uh, 20. From there Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Twenty-five years earlier, when Abraham went down into Egypt, he did the very same thing. He told a half-truth that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife. And he was thinking about himself. Why did he lie about Sarah? He was putting Sarah into all kinds of difficulties. He was thinking about himself. (coughs) He lied because Sarah was a lovely woman and he feared that if he said she was his wife, he would be killed and someone else would could marry her. When Abraham told this lie in Genesis chapter 12, Sarah was 65 years old. She was a beautiful woman. Here in chapter 20, when Abraham told this lie again, Sarah was almost 90. Well, this morning, uh, Rita was showing me a, a photograph of a, of a 91-year-old sister. And she looked 60. So, but she was still beautiful and the beauty had not faded in that 25 years and so Abraham's fears were not unfounded or far-fetched but Sarah's honour and God's plan were again in jeopardy Abraham at this point wasn't trusting in or standing on the promises of God And as we read in Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 to 7, we see, but God. And we see in this the faithfulness of God. In Noah's time, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. 
And then we read, but God remembered Noah. Paul wrote, we, are, we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. We were dead in our transgressions. We read in Ephesians. We were by nature objects of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Abraham was on the verge of making a real hash of things. And then we read in these verses, but God came through. God intervened on Abraham's behalf because God had made a promise to Abraham which he would keep. He told Abraham, Sarah will have a son within a year. And our God is a God of integrity. He always keeps his promise. He had God's assurance in chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and those who despise you, I will curse. But you see, it didn't rub off in everyday life when the pressure was on. And isn't that the case today? We have the promises of God and yet when the pressure is on we forget. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 if we are faithless he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. Abraham was faithless but God remained faithful to his promise. Alec Matteo said the covenant love of God is that wonderful love that combines the warmth of God's fellowship with the security of God's faithfulness. And as the king slept that night, the Lord invaded his dreams. You are dead meat because you have taken a woman who is already married. Abimelech didn't believe in or worship the one true God but he had integrity enough to honour another man's marriage. Some non-believers have more integrity than some Christians. Some can put us to shame. You see, Abimelech behaved more righteously than Abraham did on this occasion. Abimelech pleaded his case. He told me she was his sister. And she said he was her brother. And you see, with no children running around, I mean, it was quite convincing. And you come from seeing Abraham as a paragon of intercession in chapter 18 to seeing him as a practitioner of deception in chapter 20. God said to Abimelech, I know you are innocent, and that's why I kept you from sinning against me. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Did you catch that? Sinning against me. And this is the evaluation of human sin. And we see the Bible's perspective on sin. It's, it's something like the, the time a journalist asked Pope John uh, the 23rd, 
how many people worked in the Vatican and the Pope pondered the matter as if he was mentally calculating how many people were in the Vatican and with deadpan he replied about half you see it was a different angle on the matter and that's what we have here God so much as told Abimelech that it was his providence that kept him from sleeping with Sarah Adultery not only hurt people, it defied God. It was an offence against God. Let's never say, oh I'm a Christian, I would never do this or that. We don't know what we would do, given the circumstances. Rather our prayer ought always to be that God would do for us what he did for Abimelech. Hold us back from sinning against him. And the Lord identifies Abraham as a prophet and an intercessor. This is the first use of the term prophet in scripture. The one who deceives Abimelech is the one through whom Abimelech is restored. And it all seems out of sync somehow. But Abraham is a prophet by God's appointment. Not by human merits. God appointed Abraham to function as a channel by which he would bless the nations. He'd been a problem to Abimelech, but now at God's direction, he becomes a conveyor of blessing. And this should encourage us when we realise that we serve a faithful God who can and will work through or around our weaknesses and our faults. God will accomplish his purposes and he may even use our failures to do so. And God places us in Abraham-like positions. We are to intercede for others and be a blessing to others. We pray for our families, not that they will get success and have lucrative jobs, but that they will have a soft heart toward the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they will want to be his servants whatever that job may be a Christian skier who said that faith is the most important part of his life won won gold at the recent Winter Olympics in, in South Korea American David Wise twice gold medal winner on the ski half pipe and he said that his success is only temporary compared to the gift of knowing Christ he leads the youth group in his church in Nevada with his wife Alexandra and he said everything that I have is a gift from God and can be taken away when he wants to you see our greatest work may be our intercessory prayer for other people We may speak to men and women about God, but how often do we speak to God about men and women? And I imagine Abimelech must have been surprised when God called Abraham a prophet, since Abraham had lied to save his own skin. But as we see further on in in, in, in verses 8 to 13, 
Abimelech rises early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. But you see here, Abraham has a, a Boris Johnson or a Donald Trump moment. It's no way to win friends and influence people. His response is quite pathetic. But at least he's honest. And he says to Abimelech, you are an immoral people. So I sin to protect myself from you. I follow the one true God, but I had my wife lie for me. I follow God, but I don't trust him to protect me. So I lie to protect myself. You see, it undermined his testimony of faith. Abimelech, Abimelech had every right to be offended. He'd done nothing to harm Abraham. Yet Abraham placed Abimelech and his kingdom in great jeopardy. A reasonable response would have been, get this foolish man out of my sight, take your woman and get out of here, and get, get, your, get your camp off my, my land. But it wasn't the king's response. We see here a forgiveness from the king. However, Abimelech had a little dig in verse 16. He says to Sarah, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver, not your husband. Abimelech had every right to be angry with Abraham, but he was giving and he was forgiving. He knew that Abraham's God had Abraham's back and he didn't want to offend Abraham's God. And by giving money to Abraham, Abimelech was trying to compensate for any wrong, thus restoring Sarah's honour and reputation. He treated Abraham with undeserved dignity. He flashed his wealth and demonstrated his nobility as if to say, too bad you married the wrong guy. I'm, more, I'm a more honourable person. But God heard and responded to Abraham's prayer and healed Abimelech, his wife and slave girls. We see, we see God's grace in all this. I'm relieved and grateful to know that God's people don't have to be perfect to receive his grace and favour, his protection and his provision. And most of all, his promise to redeem us from our sin. It's no wonder we call it amazing grace. Abraham had a weakness for lying as a means of getting out of tight spots. And sadly he passed it on to his son Isaac. Who passed it on to his son Jacob. We need to know our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. Abraham was almost a hundred years old. And he was still giving in to his weakness. Sarah should have said, Abraham, I love you too much to lie for you. We're not going to, to do that as a couple. Let's agree to trust God instead. 
Let's never lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge God in all our ways, and he will direct our paths. I was reading this week in in the 19th century, Scotsman John Patton uh, went as a missionary to an unreached people in the South Pacific. He found the atmosphere was one of fear, distrust and, and suspicion. And when he was translating the scriptures, he found that they didn't have a word in their language for faith, for trust or belief. And one day he had a brainwave. When his worker arrived in the morning, John Patton just, he sat back fully into his chair and raised his feet and said, what am I doing? And his worker used, his worker used the word that meant to lean your whole weight upon. And Patton took this expression and used it for faith in his translation. Are we leaning our whole weight on the Lord Jesus? That's what living faith means. I think we usually only partially lean on him. We edge our bets sometimes and have a plan B. (coughs) Too often we try to work things out ourselves. We lean on our own understanding. You see, Abraham was walking by fear rather than by faith at this point. But God refused to allow his church to be swallowed up. God shows us that his eye remains on his fragile people and that Jesus is preserving his off-battered sheep In Psalm 94 it says, Yahweh will never forsake his people and will never abandon his heritage. There will be times when faith doesn't turn up. But Genesis 20 tells us more. It says that there will be times when faith doesn't show up, but God does. And he is faithful. We see the foolishness of man, the forgiveness of the king. But one of the most important things in this chapter is the faithfulness of God. We serve a faithful God.